Greetings and welcome to Polson Foursquare Church. My name is Pastor Greg Perkins and I'm happy that you've joined us today. This year of 2023, our focus is Together on Mission. In our teaching throughout this year, we will talk much about how we are all called to be a missional church and a missional people. Colossians 4, 2 through 6 are our theme verses that speak about being a people of prayer and of preparedness and how we are to go out and be witnesses to those around us in our everyday life. So today as we study God's word together, I pray the Holy Spirit will speak to you through these messages and pray that you'll be blessed by our podcast teachings and that you'll be edified and enriched in God's word. Thank you and may God bless you all. Thirty-five years with my wonderful bride, and uh, last Sunday we got away for uh, uh, to a cabin down in Darby. You know where Darby is, um, and so it was a beautiful setting. And, and actually, because I oversee uh, fifteen other churches in Foursquare in Western Montana, we went to the Darby Foursquare Church and got to visit with them. It was a, a fun time. Um, we also had Living Logos here, uh, Rod and Jenny Carlson, if you were here last Sunday, that they, uh, they memorized books of the Bible, and they actually uh, taught with, in a dramatic way, he becomes the Apostle Paul, and so he, he actually, they memorized First uh, Thessalonians, and so he spoke from that, and he was actually, and, he's, uh, and they've been here multiple times over the years memorizing different uh, books of the Bible. And so they acted out just like Paul would be uh, speaking it or writing it. And so if you were here, I hope you enjoyed that. We, we love them and appreciate their ministry. They travel around, literally in an RV, all year round, pretty much doing this ministry. And of course, um, if you were here, you probably got encouraged to memorize Scripture. I'm sure they did. And they have usually some discussion time with that. So uh, we also, I noticed that uh, Corb and Jan Morgan, we've supported them for a number of years with many tribes. Uh, they're going to be with us in a couple weeks from now. Uh, but they are right now down in Arlee at the powwow. Uh, with, uh, and so their ministry, they try, they're literally driving around for the last month in their RV as well. And so they're going to be with us in a couple weeks um, and we love and appreciate them as well. Today we're going to turn to Romans chapter 7. Uh, we've been going through the letter or the book of Romans. And so I love Romans. I hope that you're getting things out of this. I hope that you're enjoying this as well. Uh, I know Mike Freeman, if he was here, he's, <laughs> he's probably working at the hospital today, but um, he always loves Romans. If, you, if he ever speaks, he's always going to have a quote from Romans, and I, I certainly love and, and, and appreciate his, his love for Romans. And so we're going to be getting back to that in chapter 7. Now previously, a couple weeks ago, we were looking at chapter 6, and in that chapter it talked a, a lot about grace. And Paul asked some important questions. Because we are under grace... Uh, are we to continue in civ uh, sinning that grace may abound in, in verse 1, right? And then again in, in verse 15 of that chapter, he said, Paul asked, 
Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? And so Paul, Paul quickly objected to that. His own, he answered his own question. He said, no, absolutely not. No, we are not to uh, misuse the grace of God. But uh, really, I believe grace sets a higher standard for us. It really does. It, has a, it doesn't lessen uh, um, things for us that we may sin more, but rather we should appreciate more the grace of God that he's done for us. And so we live in that grace, in God's grace. I want to read through the first six verses of chapter 7. Verse 1, it says, Do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to men who know the law, that the law has authority over man uh, only as long as he lives. For example, by law, a married man is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. So then, if she marries another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not uh, an adulteress, even though she marries another man. So, my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who is raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit to God. For when we were controlled by the sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies, so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in a new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Father God, I ask that we may receive from your word today your living word, and it is truth for us today. I pray that we may apply what you have to say to us today to our own lives, that we may hear from you by your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so as we're reading here in Romans chapter 7, these first few verses, Paul contrasts the law and the gospel, and the end of his argument, he poses the question, who will free me from sin and death? Now the law, meaning uh, the law of Jewish covenant, what we call the Old Testament law, is powerless to set us free from sin. Um, and so even as I mentioned about sacrifice and, and we would put our hands upon, the people would put their hands upon him, that was uh, not, that was an atonement, if you will, but it wasn't a complete atonement until Jesus came to be the complete and final atonement for our sin. But the law is powerless to free us from sin. So in fact, Paul argues that sin took advantage of the law and use it to stir up sinful desires in us. Now, what does that mean? But just imagine a sign on a store window that said, don't look in here. Like I think I asked a few weeks ago, uh, if I told you not to think of a pink elephant, what are you going to do? You're going to think of it. You know, if I told you, I command you not to think of that, you're going to do it. If you weren't told to look in the store window, you're going to probably, curiosity is going to get the best of you, and you're probably going to look, right? But the sign would stir up that desire. You might say that the law can stir up a, a, an interest, a desire within us. Now, I wonder, you know, what's in there? So the law not only can't set us free from sin, it's actually used uh, by sin to enslave us. 
But the law is also not bad either because it reveals to us our sin and our boundaries to protect ourselves. So the law is good that it points out what is wrong. And there is wrongs and there are rights. You know, Not just any wrong or any right because it's not, the Bible is not just another uh, relativism of your right might not be my right or your wrong might not be my wrong and vice versa. And that's what we see in our world because we don't follow a set standard and if we don't follow the Bible as our set guideline or standard to live by, then that is why we have so much diversity in the sense of, um, and, and they name it in the name of freedom. We all want to be able to give you what you want and, and vice versa, but there is a standard of truth. And I believe it to be the word of God, the God's word being the truth. Jesus is the representation of that truth. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So Jesus is the truth. His words are truth, and it is the standard by which we must live. So it, the law in itself points us to our need. It points us to our, our own sin issues so that we recognize, hey, I am, I am far from perfect. I am a sinner, and I need God's help. I need his rescue. So if the law, knowing and following the rules, can't free us from sin, what can? And so Paul's letter answers this, and later on in verse 25 of this chapter, he says, thank God. <laughs> he said, thank God. The answer is Jesus Christ our Lord. That is the answer, Jesus. And uh, Jesus did for us what the law could never do and what we can never do on our own either. He frees us from the power of sin and gives us the power of a new life in the spirit. So today I want to um, talk about freedom. You know, we're, we're celebrating freedom, but freedom always comes with a cost. Now, even in our own country, we celebrate freedom because people died, gave up their, the sacrifice for our sin, for our, not just our sin, but so that we may have freedom in our country that they, they came to form the United States uh, so that we may have freedom of religion and not just the uh, monarchy and controlling us and, and so on and so forth. So, you know, there's always going to be things that are coming against that freedom, isn't there? Always and always will be. Because Satan always wants to enslave. He always wants to come against freedom that we can have and experience. But the main thing is that we are freed from just living under rules and we have to see that God frees us from just following the law because he wants to show us it's more than just about following rules and religion. It's about relationship. So we are freed from rules into a relationship with Jesus. Now, if you, I don't know what backgrounds you've come from, various church backgrounds and uh, different religious experiences in, in your life. Some are more... Uh, real strict. You might have been in a really strict religious experience in the past. And I'm not saying all of that is bad either. I'm not saying it's bad. Uh, but sometimes then, <clears throat> um, you know, we're seeing a, a, a getting away from the word of God and the law. And so we're just like anything goes and everything's good. And that's not true. That's not, that's not the truth. Not everything is good. And there are wrongs and rights according to the word of God. The Ten Commandments are still applicable today. 
Really, they are. But it can't save us just because we try to keep the Ten Commandments. It will never save us. So it is Jesus that sets us free from the power of sin into relationship with him, and he gives us the grace and the power to walk that out with him. And so thus, we need to make the commitment to follow him and the leading of the Holy Spirit, and then he starts to work in and through us, the changes from within, and then what he's talking about here is that he starts to develop fruit in us. Now, back in chapter 6, Paul explains that people who are justified by faith uh, will not continue to live in sin. And sin should no longer rule in their lives. It should no longer be dominant or have dominion in your life anymore. Uh, verse 14 is talking about that. And so really there's actually, um, from chapter 6 through chapter 8, uh, these, these chapters here, Paul's explaining why that is. And so Paul's answer to the question of why justified people won't go on sinning. Do you still sin being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus? Yes. Yeah, we do. We, we mess up. But that doesn't dominate our life anymore. That is not where we live anymore. That's not just, you know, making excuses for it. I'm like, I can't help it. I'm Italian. Or I can't help it. I'm just this, you know, and making, blaming other things for it not living there anymore and just saying, I don't live there anymore. Do I mess up? Yes, I mess up. But I, that's not uh, my identity. That's not who I am anymore. And it's because Christ died for us and we are united with him by faith. We have also, in a sense, died with him. That old person is dead. And so... Um, yeah, you know, we symbolize that in water baptism also. We symbolize that in, in being buried in the waters of baptism and resurrected to new life in Christ. So uh, if you've never been water baptized, last couple weeks ago when we, when we did water baptism, it was very cold down at Betcha Park. <laughs> yes, it was very cold. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yes, uh, it was not that bad. I mean, the water was nicer than the wind that was blowing outside, yes. But uh, if you've never been water baptized, that's you know just another uh, outward confession before witnesses of what you've done on your heart, you know, that we do that. Uh, confession before men, because our faith is never meant to be a secret. But I'm dead to that old person. That's not my identity anymore. I'm being raised to new life in Christ and that person is dead, right? And so it should be considered dead and buried and never resurrected again. Um, but looking at verses one through three in this, uh, in this chapter, Paul gives this comparison of marriage. And so he's talking about the function of the law for a married couple. Um, and, so the func and then also the function of the law for the Christian. So basically, Paul says that when death happens in marriage, uh, the law binding that couple in the covenant of marriage is no more. And so, um, you know, we say that in vows often, you know, when I'm doing a wedding, till death do we part. And so we say, you know, that covenant of the law binding that marriage is no more. So he's saying, therefore, that remaining spouse can remarry legally. And, um, there's no binding law upon death. 
Likewise, when a Christian dies with Christ, the law is no longer binding on the Christian anymore the way it was. And so we are no longer under the law. And through faith in Christ and his death, we are justified. Justified, I like the way uh, you might have heard it, just as if you haven't sinned. Justified. That is like how God sees us, being washed in the blood of Jesus. So when a Christian dies with Christ, the law is not binding on the Christian anymore the way it was. And that's why we are not under the law. And we'll look at that more later. Uh, But now the question is, okay, how does that help? How does that help? Justified people have died with Christ through faith and his death and his death to the law so that it's no longer binding anymore. Why does that not produce lawlessness? Um, You know, without the law and the rules, won't that lead to people committing more sins and more lawlessness? Um, Well, the answer is found in verses four through six, and that's what I want us to see this morning. The bottom line is, Uh, For not being under the law does not produce people who sin more, but they will actually sin less and love more. And so, uh, verse in my second point is that we are brought from doing into done. Not just doing the law to try to get more righteous with God. Not just doing the law to say, you know, I, I, I did my checklist and did all the, I tried my best. I tried my best to be a follower of Jesus, doing all the right things. We can never do all the right things to earn uh, our goodness before God. And it talks about that in Romans also, that no man is good, not even one. And so we have to realize that we are desperate need of a Savior. We're desperate need of God. There's nothing good within us. And so elsewhere, uh, Paul was actually speaking about this to the Galatian church as well. And so Paul wrote to the church in Galatia in verse uh, 1 of chapter 5. He said this, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Being religious can sometimes be easier for people than living by faith. Because it's something that you can in a sense control. It's something that I know, I just need to know all the rules so I can try to follow them. Just, that's all I want. And sometimes people have an easier time following rules than they do just a relationship because they don't understand the dynamics of how to have a relationship with God or listen to God. And, and I would rather have the preacher or the priest or someone do it for me. I'd rather they do that. That's their job, right? <laughs> that's their job, not mine. And so... Uh, no, actually, God wants to have a relationship and speak with all of you, not just my job. And so the Galatians were falling back into their Jewish legalism and their old ways and trying to keep the law and getting circumcised. And so Paul was saying, Christ has to set us free and wants us to live um, in that freedom. And what is the freedom that Paul had in mind? Well, first, Christ has set us free from the Jewish law. He set us free from that. That doesn't mean that we have no moral boundaries. It means that we are no longer to try to keep the Jewish law as a means of salvation or as a way to make ourselves more acceptable to God, to make us more righteous, if you will. In other words, 
we, you know, we know it. Uh, it's not just do, but it's done. And we need to recognize that. I, it's not my doing, but I have to recognize what Jesus did for me is finished. It is done. It's not about us doing enough to be righteous on our own. It's about what God has done uh, in Christ to make us righteous. He has done it. Can you then, just as you were, would symbolically lay your hands on that animal, it's done. It's finished. What he did for me, I don't have to keep uh, trying to re redo what he's already done. His grace is enough for me. In Galatia, there was a group called the Circumcision Party uh, who wanted to burden them again with what Paul said, the yoke of slavery. And so what was the yoke of slavery? The Circumcision Party said that you had to be circumcised and keep the whole Jewish law in order to be saved. So you, these people were infiltrating the church in Galatia and Paul disagreed, and he actually traveled to Jerusalem. You can read about that in Acts chapter 15. Uh, they call it the Jerusalem Council. And they met with the other apostles to decide on this very issue. This is one of the issues they decided on. And during that discussion, uh, the apostle Peter said in Acts chapter 15, verse 10, he says, Now then, why do you test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear. So this yoke of slavery, they're just coming under this heavy burden of trying so hard to keep the law. And sometimes, isn't that a, uh, what people think of the church, even today? They think of this, man, they're going to take away all my fun. It's going to be boring. I don't want to go to church. I don't want to do this stuff. I mean, yeah, that religious stuff. And you can say, no, it's done. It's done. I'm not going to be under that yoke of slavery, even though the law has its importance that point us to our need for salvation in Jesus. Well, this yoke of slavery is a burden that Peter admitted that even the Jews could not bear that weight. None of us can. It was slavery to works rather than the freedom of grace, and it was slavery to do rather than the freedom of done. Don't be burdened by this yoke of slavery, but stand firm in the freedom of of Jesus that he has for us. And that we should be able to say, God, you set me free. And I have to keep remembering that. Even when the enemy would come in to try to cast doubt, to make you, to enslave you again by, you know, giving into temptation and falling back into our old habits and our old ways and our old hurts. Remind, <laughs> remind Satan of that he, it is finished, it is done. What he did for me, you know, I still stand on that word. I still stand on that promise. Don't be burdened by that yoke of slavery, but stay in freedom in Jesus. Now, Galatians chapter 5, verse 2, Paul says this, continuing on. He said, mark my words. I, Paul, tell you uh, that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare every man who lets himself be circumcised just um, that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You're, you who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. 
For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus neither the circumcision nor the uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. He says you can't have it both ways. <laughs> he said you can't receive Christ and acknowledge that you're a sinner, unable to save yourself, and then go out and try to do religious stuff like being circumcised like they were. You know, I still got to do this. You know, that's just, you know, that's the way I was brought up. If you want to be circumcised, that's fine. But Paul was saying, you might as well just go all the way and emasculate yourself. <laughs> he basically said, you know, you have to have, you can't have it both ways. If you insist on that, you will miss Jesus and Christ has no value in you. His grace has no value because you're still trying to somehow accomplish righteousness in your own power and you can't do it. You have been alienated from Christ. You've fallen away from grace. You ha can't have it both ways. So understand the choice before you. It's either do or it's done. What is it for you? Your works or God's grace? It's like trying to swim on your own to Hawaii rather than taking a plane. Which would you rather do? Well, I think I would make it maybe, I don't know if I would make it even a mile. <laughs> I don't think I would make it very far before I would drown. Uh, so it's done. It's right. Just take the plane. It's a lot faster and, and less work. So Paul says, if you let yourself be circumcised, you would be obligated to try to keep every bit of it. If you've broken one commandment, you, it says you've broken what? Them all. And so, you know, Circumcision was important for the Jewish people. It was the mark of the covenant for the Jewish people. When you were circumcised as a Jew, you became part of that covenant community. And then you took on with that all the obligations that came with that uh, and the duties that came with that Jewish religion. So when you're circumcised, you, you said, we we're bound to this law. So... In Paul's letters, circumcision came to stand for this religion, uh, this religious human achievement. Now, obviously, I mean, God commanded Moses to be circumcised. He commanded the Israelites to be circumcised. That's the removal of the flesh. That's very symbolic, but, uh, you know, and so it was important in that. But the gospel, in, so we're now, it's in a sense, circumcised in our heart. Removal of the flesh in our heart, rather than just the physical aspect of it. So the gospel, it's either the gospel or Christ came to stand for faith in that divine achievement. What God has done for us in Jesus' life, his death and his resurrection, circumcision means do, but Christ means done. It's accomplished for us. You can't have it both ways. If you add anything to Christ, you lose Christ. And so salvation is in Christ alone. And we can have that confidence. We can have that freedom. I hope that we all have that, that we can develop that relationship with him, that I, it's Jesus and nothing added to it. If you try to add to your own goodness to Jesus, you've missed the plane and you're back to swimming on your own to Hawaii. So Paul then gets personal and passionate and he continues on in that, 
that chapter. In verse 7, it says, You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? What kind of persuasion does not come, uh, that kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you? And he says, A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who has thrown you into confusion, however, uh, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go all the way and emasculate themselves. So Paul uses this race metaphor here. You are running a good race. Who cut in on you? Um, have you ever been in a race and someone cut in on you? How many of you were runners and you, someone cut in on you and, and, uh, and did that? That was not me. But <laughs> racing, you know, running was not my thing. But uh, this is the image Paul uses. And he said, the circumcision, uh, the circumcisers cut in on you. And Paul really gets indignant and says, they cut you and I wish they would go all the way and cut off everything. Uh, just castrate themselves. Wow, that's, <laughs> that's quite graphic. Uh, but Paul loves these people and wants to protect them. And so you can hear and just maybe feel his passion in that. Uh, evidently, Paul was being uh, also misrepresented. Uh, spoken bad about, and he was that you're just preaching circumcision. He goes, "No, I'm not. I'm not preaching circumcision." And uh, if that was so, he probably would be persecuted by the circum. He wouldn't be being persecuted by this so-called circumcision party. Um, but if you read the book of Acts, you'll see that the main opposition Paul faced wherever he went was with the Jews. It was he was if he was still preaching circumcision. That, uh, that is telling everyone not only to believe in Jesus, but to keep this Jewish law, which he didn't do. Uh, these folks would have cheered him on, but the offense of the cross would be abolished. What is the offense of the cross? What is, is the cross offensive to some people? Yeah, it still is, of course. The cross says that we are sinners in need of a Savior, that we're not good enough on our own, and that we can't save ourselves. The cross offends people. It, it offends my, my human pride. Uh, what do you mean I'm, I'm not a good person? What do you mean, you know? And so I'm trying to be a good person and you're making me feel bad, you know? I've had that happen before. I've had people tell me that. You're making me feel bad, you know? Like I'm wrong. And I'm like, Okay, <laughs> I hope that that might be a surprise to you, but okay. Uh, the word offense is actually translated, translated from the Greek word scandalon. It means a, uh, it's a trap or a snare. It's an enticement or temptation, a stumbling block, something that causes offense and results in opposition or offense, you know, that we... Get this offended, um, and that's where we get the Greek, the English word scandal, or scandalous from that. Um, the gospel is still scandalous, isn't it? It's still not widely accepted by a lot of people. Uh, it offends human pride, and so it tells us that we are sinners 
uh, under condemnation, and we, we can do nothing of our own to save ourselves because none of us are good enough. And that's not a bad message. That's actually a good message. It's actually good that you can't save yourself. We're not good enough, and we can only be saved by what God has done and not by your doing again. That's the message that's still an offense to many people. The message of circumcision is that we can be good enough on our, on our own, that, that we can uh, do these outward things and get God's favor. And, you know, that might be even considered a popular message today. Uh, you can do it, uh, but really you can't. You can't do it because God has done it for you. And that's offensive to some people. Very religious people, in fact. You know, religious people are offended easy. What were the most offended people Jesus dealt with? The religious, right? Constantly. That was the ones he got the biggest backlash from. The ones that should know better, right? But looking back in Romans chapter 7, verse 4, Paul says this. So, my brothers, you who died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might belong to another, to him who raised was raised from the dead in, other, in order that we might bear fruit to God. So his answer is that when you died to the law, you were what? You were joined to Christ. He kind of uses that metaphor of the marriage. You weren't freed from the law just to float around in no, uh, no relationship with all, at all, but you were freed from the law and then brought into this union or united with Christ who is raised from the dead. And this person we are joined to is alive. It is a, a person, the person of Jesus Christ. He is meant to have a relationship with us and us with him. And so this is not just a list of commandments of what you're supposed to do and what you're not supposed to do. Uh, this is a spiritual union with the person of Jesus Christ and a relationship with him. It's just as real as the person sitting next to you right now. And so, you know, and he talks about us being in relationship or in this marriage, obviously, what is the church considered? The bride, the bride of Christ. We were talking about that at the men's Bible study the other night in Revelation. Just, he's coming back for his bride, right? He's coming back. And one day there's going to be the marriage supper of the Lamb. I don't even quite understand what that looks like. We are considered the bride of Christ. We are in relationship, in union with him. Um, and so this, you know, the aim of this joining together or this marriage, he says, is that you will what? You'll start to bear fruit for God. And so there it is. You don't go on sinning, but if you are in Christ, you're justified and married to your Savior, Jesus Christ. And that starts to produce Godly fruit in your life. He starts to do it. Read John chapter 15. It says, remain in me and I in you. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But remain in me and you will bear much fruit. You will start to uh, develop fruit in your lives. And he talks about in that about the, the, the vines that don't produce fruit and he, in the pruning process. I learned that years ago that I was... Uh, trying my best to be good, good and religious and prune things out of my life. Like, okay, I'm not going to do this as much anymore. I'm not going to try to do this anymore. You know, the process of pruning, you know. And so I was working 
to try and prune myself. And if you read that further, it's like he says, are you supposed to prune yourself? Nope. The father is the vine dresser. He is the one that comes in and does his work. And he begins to change us from within and, he, and that pruning process. Or actually a better way to look at that scripture in John 15 is that he lifts us up out of the dirt and cleans us off and binds us to the vine. He hardly prune, he'll hardly just cut things out of you. He wants to actually take you out of the mire, take you out of the dirt so that you will be able to produce fruit in your life. Are you different than when you first believed? Has he changed you? Have you seen godly fruit develop in your life? And seldom that you're gonna see the fruit on your own, but can other people see fruit in your life? You're not like you used to be. You're, you're, you're definitely different than you used to be. You're, you're more loving. You're more patient. You're more kind. Hopefully that's a characteristic of us. Hopefully we're, they're seeing godly fruit in us that he is developing in you. It's kind of like when my kids were little and we'd go, be gone for a while. We'd go see family and they go, oh my gosh, you've grown so much. Now, when we're raising a kid, and we might see little spurts of growth uh, along the way, but when you're living every day repetitious and changing diapers and doing the feeding the ch child and clothing them and doing all this stuff, you're like, when are they ever going to grow up and move out? <laughs> when are they ever going to grow up? You know, but actually, uh, we don't see the increments of growth necessarily, but when people from elsewhere see it, they go, man, they've grown like three inches. It's like, they did? <laughs> it's like, yes! You know, they're, they're, they're talking now, or they're doing other things now. Um, and just like, yeah, I guess I didn't even notice. That's kind of how God does his work in us. And hopefully it's good. I mean, the good fruit that God is doing in you, and people are going, you are different than you used to be. And that's the way he works. He is the vine dresser. But we need to remain in him, abide with him. And he starts to develop that godly fruit in us. But um, that relationship, he is our husband, Jesus Christ. And you start to become like Jesus and demonstrate that fruit. Now, for those of you that have been married for any length of time, do you start to look like one another after a while? <laughs> start to dress like one another? Jill sometimes borrows my clothes and I'm like... Where is that shirt I was, <laughs> oh, I, I use that one, you know. We start to, I mean, better yet, we start to look like our animals too, you know. <laughs> Sometimes that's, the, yeah, but. Uh, so being set free from the law does not mean freedom from love and justice. It means freedom to marry the one who is love, the one who produces love in us from the inside out. Now, verse 5 it says, where we used to bear fruit for death, now we bear fruit for God. From the inside out by the Spirit, not from the outside by observing the law, not by trying to keep the commandments, but by the Spirit. That is that point of verse 6. It says in verse 6 again, but now we have been released from the law, for we died to it and are no longer captive to its power. Now we can serve God not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living by the Spirit. Not just about trying to keep every jot and tittle of the law, but by 
walking in the Spirit and walking with Him. We are freed from the letter carved in stone or written on paper, but we are free from this external list of do's and don'ts, of, of duties, if you will. You have died to that. It is done, and Jesus fulfilled it for me, fulfilled it for all of us. Why did we die to the law? Why are we released from the law? Why are we not under that law? So that we may sin all the more? No, so that we may serve. And death to the law makes us servants, not sinners anymore. Lastly is that we are released to serve a new way in the spirit. Now we can serve God, not in the, just the requirement of the law, obeying the letter of the law, you know, or, you know, if you work today on the Sabbath, you work on that, well, it's actually Saturday, you know, but if you worked on the Sabbath, you know, sorry, we need to put you to death. <laughs> sorry, we've got to stone you now. You know, that's the letter of the law. If you would, you know, curse your parents, well, sorry, got to take you out behind the barn and stone you to death. Those are not bad. Those are good things in the sense that don't disrespect your parents, okay? Don't do those things. But it's not going to get us closer in the sense of having salvation or atonement by God. But those things are still important for us, Right? So in, instead of trying to do this, actually he set us free so that we can then find ways to serve and to um, give unto the Lord in our acts of service as well, in our gifts. And every one of you is gifted in some way, some capacity. Paul contrasts the old and the new, the old life and the new, uh, old life and uh, the new life. Before Christ, we were bound to the law under sin and death. Because of Christ, we are now released uh, from what bound or controlled us, and we can live this new life in the Spirit. So the old resulted in this bondage instead of this new freedom. The old resulted in death instead of new life. And in the same way, Paul wrote in Galatians 5 that Christ has set us free from the bondage uh, to live the new life in the Spirit. Now, if you know much about, I'll read a couple more scriptures in Galatians 5, but actually Galatians 5 is where we have the list of the fruit of the Spirit too. And so he said in verse 13, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather than serving one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in the keeping of this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out so that you will not be destroyed by each other. He said, you are called to be free. You know, there's a lot of people that are trying very hard to get into this country to have freedom. They all want freedom. And if you've ever been to another country, a lot of people look at the United States and they want what we have. And so... Hopefully they can see that in us as believers. Do they want what we have as believers? To say, I want what you have. What do you got that you, you have? Because I want it. Has anyone ever asked you that? Should they ask you that? <laughs> Is that something that, you know, people are seeing something in you. They're going, you got something 
I don't think I have. And I hope that's the representation that we live in such a way that people will be drawn to that. Going, you have something I desire, and what is it? What can you tell me what you have? We're called to be free from the burden of the guilt and shame and free from the burden of having to earn our own way to heaven or trying to be good enough on our own efforts. Free from the burden of human pride and selfishness, Jesus has set us free. So many think of Christianity as just this burden or as a restriction in their lives when it actually should be freedom. I think being a Christian is the most fun we should ever have in this world, being free. We should represent freedom, not just like, yeah, I got to go to church today. I've said that before. (laughs) But it's your job. You have to get a, you know. Um, You know, this week we celebrate, you know, freedom in, in America. We must always remember, you know, what it meant, what it means to have freedom. And I, you know, I try to be always very patriotic, and I have uh, family history that have lost their lives in, in the wars. I have, and, and I was a, I grew up as a Navy brat, you know, that I, I always honor, you know, the military and, and the sacrifice that even my dad uh, gave um, to our country, and I appreciate that. Um, I appreciate what people do to um, serve. We also should not take that for granted. Freedom is not just to do uh, the right, uh, it's not just the right to do what you want, but it is but the power to do what you ought. Christ has called us to be free, but, be, but we must use our freedom not to just indulge uh, in our selfishness and our sinful desires, but rather to serve one another in humility and in love. And it's freedom to serve, to love, to do good. Um, as God changes me, hopefully we are doing good works unto the Lord. And our freedom is not an opportunity or pretext for selfish indulgence. It's never an excuse to sin. It came with a cost of Jesus dying for me. Our freedom is not a pretext for that sin or selfishness. It's a freedom rather to serve. I am free from Jesus, and I love to serve him. I love to use my gifts and my talents to serve my community, and I I love that. And we have to realize that serving is not just, yes, there's an aspect of that here on a Sunday morning uh, as a church, but it's greater than that. Actually, we spend great more time outside this building serving in our community and should be than rather just uh, our times that we come to church. That's not when you serve your gifts, but actually, you know, me being a pastor, I'm a pastor of Polson Foursquare, but I also see it bigger than that. I pastor Polson community. I pastor my, the people that don't know they have a pastor, that don't know they need a pastor, that I, I get to minister to people in the community, and we should all see it that way, that we're reaching pre-Christians. We're reaching people that don't know they need Jesus yet. Hopefully, you can be representation of that light in this darkness. Not just be discouraged by the darkness. Sometimes we can get down and upset about the things that are 
you know, ever-increasing darkness. But I'm like, where there's ever-increasing darkness, there's ever-increasing light because God is greater than the attempts of the enemy to cause darkness. And we just need to not be discouraged by that and say, I know who Jesus is and he lives in me and he is the light of the world. And he calls us to be the light of the world and salt. And so we need to see that he has set me free and I'm not gonna fall into the enemies in slavery anymore. I'm not going to be bound by those things anymore. That's not who I am. That is dead, right? Our freedom is not just to indulge in a sinful life again. Notice that God calls us to be free. He calls us. Your relationship with God did not begin with you, but with him. He is the one who actually called you. God took the initiative, and our salvation doesn't begin with just our faith. It begins with God's call. It begins with his grace that was extended to you. Our faith is then a response to his call. It's a response to his grace that we say yes to Jesus. Yes, I want you. I, I thank you for that. He, by his grace, he initiates it. Our faith responds to it. Our faith is always a response to his outpouring of love and grace. I love Galatians 5.14. It says, For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. And so this one of several places where Paul says that when you love, you actually fulfill the entire law. Where did he get that idea from? It's an easy one, guys. It's a Sunday school question. Jesus, okay, it's usually the answer to every Sunday school question. It's, it's Jesus, okay, Jesus said that the greatest and the most important commandment of all is to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself, right? To love your neighbor as yourself, you'll do this and you will fulfill all of the law summed up in that. Focus on one thing, love God and love people. You'll fulfill it all. Rather than just trying to keep a list of do's and don'ts, love people. But you can't love people unless you've received it first. I need to receive that love God has done in me. And sometimes because we're so caught up in, in this legalism and are uncomfortable with love that we, we feel like it's easier just to obey the rules. He goes, no, just love. Be loved and then become loved. And I love that simplification. I need simple. I'm pretty simple-minded. Love God and love people. I can only do well when I focus on one thing. So here's a thought. If you love God with all you've got, you'll want to do the right things. Love is the fulfillment of the law. So the rest of chapter 7 is more detailed description of the old life, and we'll get to that uh, in the weeks ahead. In Romans 8, I love Romans 8, uh, it's more detailed description of that new life and uh, continuing to walk in the Spirit. And so these two verses set up both. Now imagine having a set of descriptions to go somewhere, it, you know. Um, it can be complicated. It can, you know, while you're looking at the directions, you're likely to miss a turn sometimes or maybe if you're following directions and you, you miss that one thing, uh, that's why I just don't follow directions. I just make my own stuff up, right? <laughs> but uh, how much better it would be with someone who knew the way and personally directed you? Now, um, you know, we need helpers. We need, you know, guys need to know that too. 
uh, especially like me that don't like to follow a map or directions. But when I do work on the ambulance, when I am driving the ambulance, my partner is usually my navigator. And so my partner has to get it right and vice versa. When I'm in the passenger seat, you know, we used to have map books. You know, we get these addresses. And if you know anything about uh, Lake County is that a lot of places don't have street addresses on their houses and especially the remote places, you know, urban flats are way out there, especially in the dark and in the middle of winter, you know, when you can't see anything. We're like trying to get to this house in an emergency and you're just like, oh my goodness. Well, nowadays we have things like, you know, uh, Google Maps and things like that and it's a little easier, but still we get turned around all the time. Man, if my partner is not giving me the navigation, it can turn us around and take us a lot more time to get there. And so I appreciate when, when my partners give me navigation. So we also need a navigator, don't we? We need God as our navigator. And uh, more than that, he is our leader, but he also is one, the Holy Spirit, to give us direction and to, to lead us the right direction. His word is our greatest life roadmap. We need to continue to, whether you use the, the real paper Bible or you use the, the electronic Bible, whatever you want to do, it's both real, but um, whatever you choose, get the word in you. Let it be your guide. And the point is that you learn to listen to his voice and that you respond to him. His voice becomes more clear. The sheep know the shepherd's voice, don't they? And it becomes more clear to us. And he will give you the power to live in that freedom of the spirit, free from the control of sin and the law, and free from my own sin and selfishness, free to do what God leads and follow him. That's what freedom looks like. Amen? Lord God, we thank you for ultimate freedom that you give us. Freedom from just do's and don'ts because it's not just do, it is done. And Lord, I thank you for the finished work on the cross. Well, we celebrated that today, even as we partook of communion today. The finished work of the cross has been applied to me, and I walk in that freedom, Lord. Now in that freedom, I'm not going to be burdened again with that yoke of slavery. I'm not going to be burdened again with a bunch of do's and don'ts, but I'm going to walk in freedom, and I'm going to invite you, Holy Spirit, to control me and bear fruit unto you, Lord that I can serve you and that you can use me. And the greatest way I can serve you is to love people, love God and love people. Lord, may we be representations of your love in this community that will draw people unto yourself, that people will see Jesus in us, that we can be that example of what freedom looks like. Thank you for freedom. And even thank you that you give us the blessing of living where we do, Lord. Thank you for the many lives that have been lost and given their time and service to our country so that we can have this place we call America. And I ask your blessing on each of us as we go our separate ways today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey guys, Billy here. I'm the media director here at Polson Foursquare, and I'm glad that you guys could join us this morning. If you guys are looking for more information, you guys can go to polsonfoursquare.org. And if you guys enjoyed the sermon, consider subscribing or sharing it with a friend. Thanks for joining us this morning, and we hope that you have a blessed week.